a little kid said, you know, Father's Day is a lot like Mother's Day, except you don't spend as much money. And so even though we don't spend as much money, dads, we love you and we really are grateful for you. You know, being a dad is, is really a special thing. It's not hard to become a dad, but being a dad, being a father is really hard. Some of you may have grown up in homes where you had a really good dad. You had a dad that was there, a dad that poured into you, a dad that cared for you, a dad that you look, you look forward to seeing, a, a dad that when, when you think of him, um, you think some incredible things and you have a lot of respect and love and appreciation for that, that dad. Some of you, however, haven't had a dad like that. You have a dad that somewhere along the way dropped the ball and you carry the scars and wounds from that. Being a dad is a difficult thing, but being a dad is a vitally important thing today. I guess it was about a year ago or so, I was watching a TV program that was kind of covering the, uh, the, uh, the fires that broke out in Southern California. You know, they have a lot of fires there, and one of the largest in their history happened not long ago. And so they were interviewing people, they were talking about the story, and they went to this one neighborhood and they were covering something in that neighborhood. It was a neighborhood of about 20 homes. And within the midst of all those homes that were burned to the ground because of the fire, everyone lost everything, life was lost. It was a devastating thing. In the midst of that neighborhood where everything was burned down, there was one home that looked virtually unscathed. Like you could tell that it had been seared by fire. You could see some of the smoke um, damage from it, but the house was still standing while everything around it, the forest and the trees and the other house were all the way to the ground, but this house stood. And so the news story was kind of covering the gentleman that built the house and whose home it was. Um, and what they found out is that he had made preparations like everyone did. You know, you live in certain areas, you, you prepare for certain things. And so he had made preparations like everyone had for, for earthquakes and fires and different things that they experienced in Southern California. But he had gone way beyond everyone else. He had put uh, double pane windows in. He had done, gone with extra thick stucco. He had put, done something special with the eaves. He had put some sort of unique concrete... Uh, shingles on the house, just all this other stuff. And he talked about that, uh, doubled the insulation, all the things that he talked about that, that he had prepared for something like this. And so when the fire came, his house stood. In fact, the story concluded by as the firefighters were fighting other fires in the area and so forth, this guy had opened up his home to these firefighters while they're in the midst of all this tragedy and all the midst of these burned down houses. They, they were staying there. When I saw that, when I think about today's world, I think the absolute hell and fire of hell is coming down on the family and on the home. God's first institution that he created. Satan has been ever since that day, Genesis chapter 3, bringing his hellfire towards the home. 
And the truth of the matter is we can't stop it. It's going to come. It's going to happen as the culture advances, as things get uglier and more difficult. It's pressing in and pressing in and pressing in on our homes, on our families, on our workplaces, on our society and culture. The fire of hell that Satan is bringing down to attack these things. And while we can't stop it necessarily, we can prevent it from getting past our doorposts and into our home and into our lives and even into our workplaces, into our communities, and as much as possible in our city. And I think what it takes is, is men and women, dads, and moms, grandparents, aunts and uncles, people who are willing to sell out to Jesus Christ so they can make a difference in this world, to push back with their lives, to make a difference in the increased attack the enemy is placing upon this world. I want to take you this morning to Philippians chapter 2 where Paul talks about two men who made a difference. Now listen, dads, fathers, God wants to make a difference through you. And ultimately, your home is your responsibility. Your family is your responsibility. And if you and I don't do something, if you and I don't sell out to serve Jesus Christ, then we will not make a difference. And, Jesus, and the enemy will, will snatch your children in a sense. He will squash them. He will come at them with everything that he has. But you can make a difference. Paul introduces us to two men in Philippians chapter 2 that meant a great deal to him. They had made a difference in his life. They were going to make a difference in the church of Philippi, and they were making a difference in their world. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at these two men, and I want you to see very closely how it was God used them to make a difference. What was it about their lives that can also be about our lives that God uses to make a difference? You've heard of one of these men before. There's two books of the Bible named after this man, Timothy. The other one you may not have heard of, he's got a really odd name, Epaphroditus. They made a difference. And I want you to see the difference they made. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. I'm going to let you be seated this morning while we read God's word because we're looking at a longer passage of scripture this morning. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. Listen to what Paul says. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may too be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. So I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary also to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, 
and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am, I am, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with joy, with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, your Holy Spirit would illuminate this word into our lives and that you would rise up men, dads, and moms, and single adults, and grandparents who are sold out to serve you so that we can make a difference in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and Paul says this about them here in verse 30, um, in verse 29, honor such men. These were unique men. They were special men. We know quite a bit about Timothy, who Paul introduces first to us. Uh, Timothy was a young companion of Paul that he had known for a long time. Likely, uh, Paul was very either the one that actually had the opportunity to share and uh, was there at the conversion of Timothy or very early on in his, his youthhood. Paul mentored him. Paul discipled him. Paul brought him up. He traveled the world with Paul through all these missionary journeys. And when Paul was in prison, Timothy made frequent visits to to Paul. He brought him things and helped him. And so Paul has an assignment here for Timothy. Paul is waiting in prison at this point in time. He's waiting to hear what's going to happen with him. We already know that he's, 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 he knows the end is near. Whether that means his execution, that just means his death, or whether he has the opportunity to do what he hopes to do, and that is meet with Caesar, state his case, and share the gospel with Caesar. He doesn't really know how it's going to work out. And he's telling this church at Philippi that, hey, listen, I'm going to send Timothy to you. But, but I'm going to wait until I get that news, and he's going to bring that report to you about, about what happens with me, whether I, whether I died or whether, whether I, I, I'm just going to be executed or, or whether I actually got to go and get to go visit with Caesar and share the gospel with him. But he says something about Timothy in, in the preparation for him coming. He says this in verse 20, I have no one like him. There's no one like Timothy to me. He's, he's a rare find. He's a unique guy. He's someone different than anyone I've ever met. There's no one like him in my life. Timothy's a special guy. Well, what was it that made Timothy so rare, so unique as a young man, but so effective and so different than anyone else? Notice what Paul says, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare? What made Timothy different, what made him unique, was that Timothy had a genuine, authentic care for other people. He cared about other people. And Paul says, you're going to find this out, man. Timothy walks in, you're going to see that there's no one like him, that he deeply cares for other people. And that's a rare thing in that day. Notice what he says in, in verse 21, for, for they're all seeking their own interests. Those not of Jesus Christ. 
Like you guys are surrounded, Philippi. You guys are surrounded by people that are selfish. And as we look at the book of Philippians, we see that selfishness was a little bit of an issue in the church and selfishness was certainly an issue in the culture and society. No different than our day. If Timothy was rare in those days, those days because he, he sought the interest of others and he cared about other people, how rare would a guy like Timothy be today? When self-centeredness and selfishness rules and reigns. When we're raised and bred in this culture and society to be concerned about ourselves. What a rare find today. Timothy was different because he cared about other people. He took seriously the command and personhood of Jesus. Because, you know, Jesus was a guy that genuinely sought the care and interest of other people. He put aside his name, he put aside his title, he put aside his position, and he came here not to be served, but to serve. In fact, Paul brings that very thing up in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. We looked at it just a few weeks ago, and just remember what it says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you want to make a difference in this pressing culture and society, if you want to protect your home, dads and moms, then you and I need to understand that what Jesus did to save us from this world was that he genuinely was concerned for us. That he put himself aside, gave up for us. Timothy demonstrated that. You know, men like that are unfortunately rare. Most of us men are raised in a society and culture that's about making a name for ourselves. That's about our accomplishments and what we've done and whom we are. Most men are trained to be concerned with their needs and their wants and their stuff. And if there's something left over, then we can be concerned for someone else. But specifically to you dads and myself, all that goes out the door when God puts your DNA and another human being. Amen. Your responsibility is no longer your interest and yourself, it's theirs. Amen. You see, dads that are concerned about their kids and concerned more about their kids than their selves and their hobbies and their accomplishments and their things make a difference in this world. And men and women who are concerned about other people's, their lostness, their needs, make a difference 
in this world. And a church that is more concerned about the outside world and those outside these walls than we are for what's going on with us and in us and so on and so forth makes a difference in this world. God is looking for sold out people to serve the king, to make a difference, and we do that by concern for others. But there was something else about Timothy that made him unique. Notice verse 22. He says this, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. What was unique about Timothy was his authentic faith. Paul uses a statement here called proven worth. It was a statement, it was a phrase used of coins in those days. You see, just like our day, but probably more prevalent in their day, there was a lot of counterfeit money going around and people trying to pass something off as something else. And so there were tests and balances to make sure that this coin was the right weight and it was the right kind. And, and, and what would happen is the coin would be authenticated or proven as worthy, proven as accurate and real. Timothy, with his faith, was authentic and real. Paul said of Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, as he was writing his second letter to encourage Timothy, he says this, and Timothy, I've known you from the beginning, I've known you, and I'm reminded of your sincere faith. What made Timothy different the difference that Timothy made in this world, why he was so affected is because that his faith was authentic. It was the real deal. It wasn't just some sort of religion. It wasn't some just sort of checking the box and going through the motions and, and a casual walk with Jesus. No, Timothy's faith was authentic and real. It made a difference. He wasn't just going through the motions. Timothy was as Joshua, as for me and my house will serve the Lord. Timothy had made the decision for me, no matter what happens, no matter what's going on, no matter what it costs me, I'm going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was sold out to that and there was an authenticity that he really sought the Lord and that he really trusted the Lord and that he was living for the Lord. You want to be a difference maker, dad? You want to be a difference maker, friend? You want to be a difference maker, mom and grandparents? Then you need to understand phony fake doesn't cut it. Religion will not cut it. Simply sitting in a pew and going through the motions is not what's going to make a difference. A genuine, authentic pursuit of Jesus Christ is what makes a difference in this world. Your kids are funny, by the way. Eventually they get to a point in time where they can sniff out a fraud, a fake. My oldest son is, is 13, so he's a teenager. And that means a lot of different things. I won't go on to, into that because he's sitting right here. But one thing it, it does mean is that no longer am I the coolest guy in the world. No longer am I the most heroic athlete that ever walked the face of the earth. No longer do I know everything and can do everything. He has sniffed out that there is a little bit of a sense that all that was a little bit fraud and fake and kind of lifted up and made to seem more realistic than what was actually real. 
You know, he looks at me, he's taller than me now, and he says, Dad, how could you be like an incredible basketball player when you were my age? <laughs> See, kids can sniff out what's real and what's not. The writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart. See, dads and moms, we have to stop thinking of parenting in just 10 and 20 year segments. We have to start thinking of parenting and the effect and the seriousness of our roles as moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles, we have to start thinking about that in the timeline of centuries. When he is old, he will not depart. You know, you can pass down to your kids how to be successful. You can pass down your kids how to cook great meals. You can pass down your kids how to throw a baseball, how to catch a ball, how to hit a ball, how to shoot a hoop, how to win people over. But at the end of the day, on that day, Their batting average will not matter when they stand before Jesus Christ. It will not matter how many sashes they graduated with and what their grade point average was, how much money they made, how big their house was, how wonderful their, their retirement was, how many incredible vacations they had, and the wonderful memories. There's nothing wrong with all of that. It's just not going to be important at that time. It's not going to matter. And you know what? On that day, your name's not going to matter either. Your name won't even be mentioned. There's only one name that will matter on that name, day, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. That's what we must pass down. It's kind of odd to think about it as, as a younger parent that one day I'm going to be a grandparent. You're, you're going to be a grandparent one day. I mean, some of you are really looking forward to that day because the, the parenting days, uh, you're, you're glad those are over and maybe grandparenting will be a little bit more fun. I, I don't know. We're going to be grandparents. So someday we're going to be great grandparents. And, and, and your name is going to be passed on, your last name. But you know what? In a hundred years, I mean, think about this, in a hundred years, unless there's some sort of Bible or something like that passed down as well with your name, you, <laughs> no one's going to remember your name. They're just going to remember your last name. They're not going to remember how great you were and how handsome you were and how beautiful you were and how, how good you were at this. They're, they're, The one thing we can pass down, the one thing that matters is the authentic faith that we displayed and that we showed. Paul found that in Timothy and it's what made a difference in his life in this world. 
could it be found in you? Genuinely care about other people, concerned about other people, authentic faith. And the third thing I want you to see is being sold out. Now we come to another character here in verse 26 that we're introduced to. There's really not anything else in the scripture about this person. Uh, we don't know hardly anything about him, but what's said right here. And he has a really strange name, Epaphroditus. Have you ever met an Epaphroditus? You want to punish your kids? Name them Epaphroditus. See how that's pronounced when their name's called out in school or how many times it's misspelled. I, in all my years of dedicating babies and all that, I've never held a little sweet Epaphroditus. It's just an odd name. We don't know a lot about him. We don't know where he's from. We don't know what he did. We don't know very much about him. But what we do know about him here says really all that we need to know. Listen to what Paul says. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now, it's likely that Epaphroditus was the one that was carrying this letter, that Paul was sending Epaphroditus along with the letter that he wrote to the church of Philippi. And so he's the messenger of that letter. And so Paul says a statement about, hey, this guy that's holding this letter that I'm sending to you, um, let me tell you just a little bit about him since you've not met him before. Epaphroditus, who is my, he says here in verse 25, my brother, my fellow worker, and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. This guy was serious. Paul saw him as a brother in Christ, a worker, a soldier, a messenger, and he meant a great deal to Paul because he had ministered to his need. He goes on and he tells a little bit about what has been happening, how he's become ill and how he was worried that the church of Philippi would be worried that he was ill. And he makes this statement in verse 34, he nearly died for the work of Christ. Epaphroditus wasn't just some good dude or some nominal Christian that was helpful, that just volunteered occasionally for something at the church. No, Epaphroditus was a guy that was sold out, that was willing to risk his life for the sake of the gospel, that was so serious about the ministry of Jesus Christ in this world, and so serious about the call of God upon his life to make a difference, that he was willing to put himself in harm's way and to become ill. Now, we're not really sure how he got ill. Could have been that he was bringing something from another church to the Apostle Paul, such as a gift or an offering or something like that. And on the way, something happened that made him sick. Maybe he was robbed or uh, maybe, maybe he just fell ill with some of the diseases of that day. But he kept pressing and he kept going. And once he was recovered, he kept moving on because at the end of the day, he was willing to die for his king. He was willing to risk it all. I think God wants men like that. Dads, I think God wants to make us into men like that. That are willing to do whatever it takes to make a difference for Jesus in our kids' lives, in our grandkids' lives, and for that matter, in this world. Yet most men that call themselves Christ followers 
struggle to get up on Sunday morning to worship. Most men who proclaim the label of Jesus Christ don't spend a lot of time listening to the King. When you look at the church and you look at the service through the church, the truth of the matter is, and it's the case here as well, that the people that serve and sign up the most are not the men. We got some great men here. I'm so grateful to God for them. But it's just the trend. It's just the fact that in most churches and at Christianity at large, Men aren't leading when it comes to the risk and service for Jesus. They're putting the risk elsewhere. They're risking losing a little extra sleep so they can make that tea time really early in the morning. They're not, it's not that men aren't risky. No, we are a risky folk. How many of us guys have had stitches and bruises and broken bones because of stupid stuff we did that was way too risky when we were kids. We're not afraid of risk. We're not afraid of being men. We're not afraid of, of getting up and going at it. We do it all the time. Those of you that hunt, you get up at, at ungodly hours. You, we won't go any further with any of the things that go on in those hunts that are just so odd and so weird. We are a weird group of people that hunt. We stay out late to, to watch the game and to, to finish that. We, we're not afraid to do that. We're, we're not afraid to, to, go, to go to burn the midnight oil, to stay at the office late, to get it done, to meet the deadline, to be successful, to, to accomplish the goals, to be somebody. We're not afraid to take those risks. We're not afraid to work hard. We have ambition and we're not afraid to go for it. We're just not sold out to the king. We're sold out to our kingdom. where we sit on the throne, but we're not sold out to the King of Kings. Listen, Jesus Christ did not die on a cross, hang on a cross, so that you could just sit in a pew whenever you feel like it. He died on a cross and he saved you so that you could make a difference in this world, so that you could make a difference in the children and the grandchildren that he gave you, so that you could make a difference in the office place that he put you, so that you could make a difference in the neighborhood that he's placed you in. He did that so that you could take his service that he did for you and pour that service out with risk and with audacity for this world, for the sake of the gospel. Not so that you could live in the comforts of the American dream. There is no American dream on the cold, bloody, rugged cross. Sold out. 
Epaphroditus. There was one last thing about him that made him unique. And it's what we find in verse 28. So Paul says, I'm sending them to you. He's bringing this letter. He's got some encouragement. He's got some news. And you are going to love this guy. Look at verse 28. I am, I am the more eager to send him to you. I'm really, really excited about sending Therefore, can't wait till you meet him. Can't wait till you see him. So that you may rejoice at seeing him again. That I may be less anxious and so receive him with all joy. Paul says this, you know this about this guy Epaphroditus. You've heard his reputation. Many of you have met him before. You know that when he walks in the room, joy happens. It's a special guy. And you're going to rejoice. You're going to love seeing him. Man, he's so radiant with Jesus Christ. And the joy of Jesus Christ flows out of, you can't help but rejoice in his presence. This soldier of the Lord, this fellow brother in Christ, this minister to my need and your messenger, man, he is going to bring you joy. So just join him and just give into it. Verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor a dude like this. Honor such men. People that make a difference who are sold out to serve the king, make a difference in their concern for others, they make a difference to their authentic faith, they make a difference in the fact that they're sold out, and listen, they make a difference in that they bring joy. You know what's rare in this world? People that bring joy. People that when they walk in the room, the atmosphere kind of changes. Because they're full of Jesus, And the Jesus joy inside of them just spews out and just spills out all over the room and all over the place. You and I know plenty of people that when they walk in the room, the slight switch of joy completely turns off. How many of you ever had a family member like that? You don't have to raise your hand, but you know. (laughs) Yeah. Dad's home. Mom's home. We're going to Mamaw and Papaw's. Look who just walked in the door. Hey, dads, when you walk home and you walk in your door, are you the kind of man in Jesus that your kids light up because of the refreshment they receive from a man that radiates from walking with Jesus? I don't know where we've gotten this idea that that Christianity is so boring that it's stale and stoic and we've got to be serious about it because that's not the way Jesus was 
When you look at the New Testament, Jesus was a fun guy. People wanted to be around Jesus. People gravitated to Jesus because of the things that he did and because of the person that he was. Jesus was always being invited to be around him. Jesus could just crash a party. Jesus could come to a dude and say, hey, feed me today. I'm coming to your house. And everything stops. And he stops what he's doing. And he receives him and has him. You can't do that. Jesus was a guy that people wanted to be around because of the joy that he was. He was the author of joy. And it radiated off of him how he was concerned for other people, how authentic and real he was, how sold out he was to his mission. And the joy just beamed around him and people wanted to be around him. Man, that's the way that we as followers of Christ also ought to be. That people want to be around these people that, that call themselves Christians. Yeah, they're a little different. They're a little kooky here and there, but God, they got peace and joy and happiness and kindness and love, and they're encouraging. And yeah, they live in their convictions and they stand firm on certain things, but man, they do it with such love and kindness. Where is that today? I think the world needs that so much. Parents, our, our house ought to be the kind of house that, that, that our kids want to be at. That our kids enjoy being within our doors. Because if they don't find it in our house, they'll find it somewhere else. Where we don't know what's behind those doors. People who are sold out to serve the king make a difference. And you know when you'll be a person like this? You know when you'll be a person like Timothy and Epaphroditus? When you really know the king. When you really walk with the king. Because this is what Jesus does to people. Jesus makes people, by the power of Holy Spirit, into this. And if you're not like this, and if God's not working on you to make you like this, I would wonder to myself whether I really know him. Do you? Do you really know him? Do you really follow him? More than anything else you can do for your family, more than anything else you can do for this world, knowing him and letting him make you into a person sold out to serve him. More than anything else, that will make the difference. Let's pray.